if you're sophisticated enough to value yourself at $67 million, you're probably sophisticated to get your accounts done and get them right. Welcome to episode 413 of Brews News Week, recorded on Thursday the 6th of April. I'm Sabrina Kunz and I'm joined today by regular co-host Ian Watson and Matt Kierkegaard. Hi guys. Hello. Good morning. Uh, afternoon. <laughs> How's everybody going? It sounds like we're all in the long weekend already. Yep. Not far. Well, I'm meant to be on holidays, remember? Yeah. <laughs> Soon. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> Not yet. And, and actually, thank you to all of the people that reached out that sort of heard last uh, the, the, the the chat last week and said, you know, good on you for taking some time. Um, you know, you, you, you deserve it. And they said it's a very nice thing. So um, thank you for that. So when I finally get there, I'll, uh, I'll bear that in mind. Great. Well, I'm sort of started my long weekend. I'm actually recording out of the Your Mates um, Bowls Club in Karoi. So if you hear some noises and some cheering, um, that's that's what that ambient sound is this week. <laughs> right, cracking into the news, a bit of um, financial news coming out of the industry this week that tells a tale. So first article, creditors approve Tribe Docker. Creditors have voted to approve the deed of company arrangement proposed by a group of convertible note holders that is expected to see a return to unsecured creditors of 4.97 cents in the dollar. The tribe group went into administration in February with debts totaling more than $72 million, including $15 million to unsecured trade creditors and $7.9 million to the ATO. Uh, the administrators have said that this outcome means tribe will continue as a going concern, which is a great outcome for tribe's employees and customers. Indeed, under the docker, uh, the convertible note holders, uh, which is a, a group, will retain ownership of tribe following the payment of a million dollars in addition to um, the administrators' unpaid remuneration and payment of priority creditors. So that will see all employees paid in full. Tribe has been exploring a number of exit strategies over the last year, including a sale to RGT Capital, the largest investor in Sydney's Young Henry's, which collapsed last year, resulting in legal action between RGT and other debt holders. The administrators had closed the stockade barrel room in Marrickville as part of the administration process. So, um, four point six seven cents in the dollar and docker approved um it's pretty significant for those trade creditors and for the 7.9 million dollars for the ato yes that's that's uh, a, a massive total uh and makes some other recent ones uh, pale in significance to 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 this one um it has gone through this was at the the first meeting um and Obviously, plans were in, were in place by multiple groups to be able to to capitalise on this um, for themselves, and yet uh, the employees will get paid and the business will go on uh, because the the impact of this one is is quite big. If it had have gone into liquidation, if it had have closed down, um, it, it's always a, an impact on many people, a big impact on many people. If it happened to any business, but in the case of Tribe, where they are making for quite a number of other breweries and quite a number of brands that would have had uh, a quite a rolling effect on on the industry as a whole and on many other businesses would have been a, a huge impact. It was interesting to, to sit in. It was done differently than some of the other ones in that it wasn't a public vote. Everything about this was bigger business than the other um creditors meetings that we've sat in, um, including uh, the, the, the ballistic one, Ian, that was in a little meeting room. This was all virtual, but it was all um, voting online. So long pauses as they voted, but consequently, you didn't know how anyone voted. Um, so, you know, we were aware that in easy times, for example, the ATO voted in favour of it um, because I think they got about 45 cents in the dollar. In ballistic, uh, after the ATO initially opposed it, which is when the uh, meeting adjourned, the ATO ended up voting for the deed of. Oh no, they, they voted against no, it. No, they didn't voted they, against it. Yes, 
they, they voted against it. Sorry, but in, in this one, I was um, uh, keen to see how the ATO voted and wasn't able to, you know, uh, to see how they voted. And I actually reached out figuring that it would be something that would be on the public record. Um, and the ATO declined to advise how they voted um, for that. So, you know, um, I, I do have a story coming because the the, uh, the ATO is saying that they're going to vote on a you know, case-by-case basis, but clearly they're not happy with the returns and they, they don't want to be setting a precedent for breweries to go in. I, I, I think in Tribe's case, because there were so many other creditors, including so many, you know, because it's more than 50% of the creditors plus more than 50% of the debt, there were so many and so much debt that even the ATO's one vote for seven million odd dollars wasn't enough to sway it. And uh, you know, it it's interesting. I've actually had some very interesting conversations with brewers. Of course, um, don't quote me on this conversations, but the feeling in the industry is that it's so tough. And you're seeing these breweries, like the attitude of some of these breweries that are doing it tough but are viable, in their words, is that some of these breweries should be allowed to fall over because we need a thinning of the herd. There aren't enough resources for everybody. And some of the businesses that are going into administration, not all of them, and you know, I don't want to point the fingers, but some of these are just bad business models. Um, and letting them pay a fraction of their debt and trading on suddenly debt-free when there's no indication of how the business itself is going to change um, is making it harder for other businesses um, is a feeling that I'm getting. That They're not my words. That's just a vibe that people are actually coming out with. Matt, when I read through those reports, nothing in them actually indicated how the business model was going to change. And, and, and we discussed it sort of last week. But really, it's sort of saying even producing those volumes of beer without a sales strategy and without sort of all of this other stuff in place, nothing actually indicated how it was going to be different other than not holding all of that debt. But there was nothing to say it wouldn't be in a similar position and start accruing debt because it didn't have a solid business model. And and the point that I made, and you know, this is sort of, um, I think Ian actually raised it after Ballistic, it's great to see that all of the employees will be paid out. But if I was an employee, I wouldn't be looking around and thinking, yeah, this is a solid business. I'd be looking around and thinking, this could be in a similar position again in six or 12 months time. So do I want to risk it, right? And so how do you retain morale in such a precarious state? Well, that was exactly the questions in the first ballistic creditors meeting um, that had some of the individuals voting, uh, businesses voting down the docker was um, an explanation at that stage. It wasn't announced as to who the investors were or, or what the plan was, just that it was going to be better. Um, and so that was a lot of questions asked for that. And there was a lot more questions asked in the second meeting uh, in, in regards to that and to knowing what it is so that creditors could be um, a little bit more confident that what, the business was going to be wasn't going to uh, result in another situation where they were only going to pay cents in the dollar for for the for their um, for their services and to give for the staff to have a surety too that the business that they were going to be continued working for was a viable business. Well, and I've given. I mean, in, in the ballistic case, I've given uh, uh, Matt Newbury, who's the new head honcho of the group, um, the, 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 the catchment group of companies, or whatever they're calling the group to come on and explain what they're going to do differently because, you know, again, suddenly they've got this new brewery that's debt-free, but it's being owned by a brewery that hasn't really, you know, set the world on fire with its results. Well, this is the same with Tribe. You know, I went in and said, well, is the management team changing? Who who constitutes the board now? Like, what is structurally being put in place that's different? That will say we're not going to be in this position again because... Right now, and I think we'll see this trend through the stories that we cover today on the finances, um, and I think, Matt, you've made this point, certainly people who are commenting online, and I should note, a lot of them are not don't appear on their based on their profiles to be working in the beer industry but are sort of prosumers who, who have an interest, are sort of saying, 
we're not shocked at the financial situation of all of these breweries. There's been too many. Um, but it's just, I don't know, like the vibe is just sort of what you said, Matt, which is this people are starting to lose confidence that there's all of this growth and yet, and we'll come to a story shortly, where breweries are putting a whole lot of money behind expanding. Well, well, let, okay, so, so let's park it. Let's get on because I think the next couple of stories we can sort of talk in together because, you know, even with the, 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 the docker, it's the funding behind businesses. Because just to take your point there, Sabrina, I think we're long past this idea that the craft beer market is growing. Like if, if you read the prospectuses for equity crowd funds or if you read, you know, the bullish predictions, Everybody is self-referencing, you know, the last um, document that was put out. And there, there are no growth figures um, and no breweries that I hear of outside of the sugar hit of COVID lockdown retail sales that has evaporated post-COVID lockdown, particularly as the two big retailers have pulled back from national distribution, um, that 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 false appearance of growth that a lot of breweries saw just isn't isn't happening. You know, as as a, as a complete market, the craft beer industry, if it's growing at all, isn't. And when you look at the publicly listed companies that have filed and tend to have, you know, data that they've bought from IRI, which is Good Drinks and Gage Roads, in their last reports, they both said that. You know, we both got X amount of growth in a market that our data is showing is going backwards. There is a, a theme, right? So Black Hops reveals large loss post crowdfund. In its first financial reports, it's running a record-breaking equity crowdfunding campaign in January of 2022, Black Ops has revealed a before-tax loss of $1.8 million. The company filed its annual report for the 2021-22 financial year with ASIC last week revealing a before-tax loss of $2.6 million change from the prior year. The company raised more than $2.2 million from 996 investors in one day in January 2022, so that's six months before these financial statements at a stated valuation of $67 million. In the offer documents accompanying that crowdfunding, the accounts showed that in the prior six months, the company was running out of a four tax profit of $129,000. So in January, it was saying they had a $129,000 profit. And according to the latest financials, by year end, they had a $1.8 million loss. Our new general manager, Nathan Hyde, told Brews News that he wasn't able to fully explain the turnaround in the company's financials following the profitability reporting in the crowdfunding documents. Further down uh, in his statement, he said um, Black Ops had been a little left behind in the market. Certainly when you look at some of the bigger companies, the smaller brands have pushed ahead and shifted their price points, and we've not done that. So costs have just gone through the roof, and, you know, revenue sort of plateaued and dropped in some cases. So, again, um, read the full article because there's a whole lot of quotes that are attributable to COVID did this to us. Um, it's COVID's fault, um, and we'll, we'll see that again when we talk to our latest article. So you don't know if it was COVID or not, but you know, I, I understand on his own podcast, um, Dan, uh, yeah, Dan Norris, or, or I think it was um, Hindo, was just dismissing this as my anti-equity crowdfunding bias <laughs> was what drove this article, and I think you really have to turn your head and squint to see this as an anti-crowdfunding article it's as you see as the article says in january last year in a very bullish prospectus to drum up investment the company said that it was profitable just five months later well according to their accounts five months later they had lost 1.8 million dollars which is a more than two million dollar turnaround in five months that was after covid you know, so something something's going on. 
Yeah, and I think the reason I read out that comment from the new general manager, who has not come from the beer industry, who was hired and new by the board, so quite frankly is independent in, in my view from sort of and has taken an independent and fresh look at it all. Um, that comment was called out online, both on LinkedIn and on Facebook, by people saying that doesn't make any sense. And there's a whole host of reasons. And why. I feel sorry for him. <laughs> and, I, and I feel sorry for him. And I, you know, saying, how does a general manager not know? But I think the only conclusion that can be drawn is that someone, somewhere, or somehow, the financials that were disclosed and upon the basis of which people invested when fully audited and vetted either there was a two million dollar change in five months or the accounting or whatever it was was not accurate at the time of that disclosure but, but that's why you can't divorce this from the equity crowdfund well, so the results are the results they just stand alone that's right the reason the equity crowdfund is at all relevant to these results is this is a company that went to the trough in 2019 and after that was required to file accounts each year by ASIC legally. So this isn't free money. If you go to the bank, you pay interest on your money. You know, you, you, you have to make your monthly payments and you pay interest as an obligation of the loan. When you go to the crowdfunding um, pool, it's not free money. There are obligations and one of those is reporting. And this is a crowd, this is only a crowdfunding story because in 20, 22, when they went to the trough, they were in breach of their requirements and Birchall allowed that crowdfunding to take place. So we hadn't seen the results. And then these results were due last October while Dan was still the general manager um, and they weren't filed. Um, and you know, they haven't been filed until the new general managers come in. So the only reason this is an equity crowdfunding story is because they didn't meet their obligations. But, but also it's an equity crowdfunding story because I think, the, the, and the reason that I think it's significant is that if you look at the people that have commented on this story uh, on Facebook, uh, and I should say, you know, and all of the people who have clicked through and read the story but not commented on, on across all of the social media platforms, um, the people that are most surprised seem to be people who are customers, prosumers or even potential shareholders who did invest on the basis of or everything that they were told at the time. And so as an industry, I think the, the significance here is, you know, and this links back to what is India. If it was going to be different, better than, you, you know, these other, these other big corporates then we need to behave better and if the people who buy into our business and our brand are shocked and i'm not saying are shocked at the financial outcome then that's a problem because i actually can accept and understand how you can raise capital through any mechanism crowdfund or other and then have to change directions because the business environment changes and so i'm actually much more sort of open to um you're going to do something and it doesn't quite work out and you're going to do something different but what i am not where i'm 100 percent aligned with you matt is um, if there are legal obligations like pay your ATO excise, like uh, make sure you have enough money to pay your employees, <laughs> like uh, file your financial, file your financials. Then, you know, this is a business story, and we expect any other business we work with to to be held to those standards. And I just don't understand why we should expect anything less from a business in the beer industry just because we we like the people or we like the beer. Like that's that if you're sophisticated enough to value yourself at sixty seven million dollars, you're probably sophisticated to get your accounts done and get them right. I, I think a, a point on that, Matt, is that that one hundred and twenty nine thousand dollar profit that would not have 
probably been from the period immediately to the um, to the fundraising. It was to the 30th of December, I think. Really? That's pretty incredible yep. to get the figures together in a few weeks. I, I, w- I was imagining that that was probably from the end of the previous financial year because that's a real quick time to get you to get uh, all that information to hand. Naturally, all that data is there because it cuts off at that point, but um, I think... I had assumed that that was probably the period, um, the six months prior to that. Well, again, I, I, j- just on that point, again, I don't know. I wasn't. I'm not the accountant. But the figure. But when you read the January 2022 equity crowdfunding prospectus, it's got a heading that says July to December. Oh, okay. So you know, and it's got the 2019, 2020, and look. Since then, they've actually posted their. Um, results for the 2020 and 21. Um, since I've done this article, in fact, they've posted their results, both of which were signed off in May of the year following. They just never bothered filing them. Um, so, you know, again, on, on his podcast, Dan said, I'm all for transparency. Apparently, not so transparent that you meet the requirements for your equity crowdfunding. The other thing, too, was that uh, comment about the uh, the general manager saying um, uh, wasn't able to fully explain the turnaround in the company's time. Th- these things to take time to really analyse. So you can have the figures there. Sometimes things can jump out to you in data. Um, anyone that's looked at data will know that. Other times you really got to look at multiple areas and you can see, well, oh, geez, this really doesn't look much different to last time. So I'll dismiss that. But that in um, uh, in pairing with some other factors can can roll up. So I think that that's probably something we'd have to give him time to fully analyse and fully see, um, and that's his, his role to do, but we can't expect him to have those um, explanations instantly unless it's something that's super glaringly obvious. Oh, no. But but again, and that statement was in more because my question as a journalist was when you see these accounts, hold on, in January, your position was X. Five months later, your position was $2 million different from what you told investors. And and I included a statement that was in the uh, thing, you know, we've crossed the valley of the shadow of death or whatever, you know, the the, the valley of death that breweries face, you know, we're now profitable. Um, And so investors invested believing the business was profitable and they don't find out until over a year later um, that the business subsequently lost $1.8 million. As a journalist, my question to the to the person who is authorised to answer questions is, what happened? Um, and, you know, again, I, I think I he's in a really unfortunate position because he's the one that has to answer. Um, and, you know, I, I think, um, you know, again, I can't answer for him, but I think James Atkinson's comment in the comment was probably the most apt. He was being very kind. <laughs> no one was thrown under a bus, is, is my reading of it. No, and I think, I mean, the one thing that this gives should give investors confidence in, those that have already invested and punters, is that this general manager both the communication that's coming out, the fact that they have gone backwards and filed all of their required paperwork, like the things that need to be happening are happening, perhaps not as quickly and as accurately as they maybe should have in the past, but it certainly sounds like the board and management team are taking their position and they need to make changes very seriously, and I think that is a positive sign. So... You know, onward. You know, I, I wish all the best for Black Ops and all of their staff oh, and, and teams. And good luck there, to them. Right? Like, yeah, you know, you don't, you don't want to see any brewery. And it is tough out there. It, it's a really tough market. And you know, no one takes glee in seeing these. But again, it does come back. If you say one thing when you're raising money, I, I think you should. You know, again, if, if all of the financials were in the marketplace, so people could make a meaningful decision about the finances. And again, this is where it comes back to, I spoke to Parrot Dog um, about their equity crowdfunding. And so I said, oh, look, you know, it's amazing that you guys, you know, filed your financials a week before the thing opened. And he goes, but why wouldn't you do that? And when I said, well, that's not what they do in Australia. Um, Matt just couldn't believe that you open an equity crowdfunding without having your financials on the table for people to have considered. Um, and, and that's, again, that's where this is an equity crowdfunding. No one had the chance, this closed in a couple of hours because of the fear of missing out and no one had accurate financial, um, so it's either an investment or it's not. But anyway, 
Speaking of other, I'll let you move on to the next. Uh... Um, so moving on to another story that is financials uh, and raises some similar themes. COVID, floods and growth costs impact BrewDog results. BrewDog's Australian arm has filed its report for the 2022 calendar year, showing a loss of $1.49 million for the year. The results follow a million dollar loss in the prior year. Uh, the general manager went on to, or Australian CEO went on to describe a whole host of reasons for that, including um, COVID, um, but has also talked about where their growth has come from in terms of actual revenue from wholesale sales increasing 163% on the 2021 financial year, opening of the Brewdog Fortitude Valley venue um, and launching a bar partnership with Australian Venue Co for the supply of Brewdog branded beverages. Uh, and then, uh, you know, you can read the article for the full details, but basically um, CEO Ed Bott goes on to be actually quite bullish about the investment that they're making in Brewdog uh, and have made in the past year and going forward. They estimate they have... Uh, invested half a million dollars and a million dollars next year just in the brew kit setting themselves up from growth and that that growth is coming from a wholesale perspective um, and that they would needing to be made and the company would need to be investing significantly in operations sales and marketing staff to keep up with what they see as um, growth and expansion you know again it's another story of a, a brewery making a loss but it's you know it and this is where these stories are relevant on one hand you've got a brewery that's you know, got a couple of million dollars of private e- of of equity crowdfunding that gives it a uh, you know a, a bit of a, a ramp to sustain some losses. Here, you've got a you know a large parent company that's uh, willing to underwrite. You know, so they're they're losing money, but they're investing, and that's where I um, went into a little bit at the end because. They need to grow. They Brewdog absolutely needs to grow. Five years after their private equity um, investment, that you know was touted as giving the early equity punks a huge return. The private equity invested with a guaranteed eighteen percent compounding return on investment. So when they invested, it nominally valued Brewdog at a billion dollars. Um, but that was in the sort of market when Ballast Point was selling for a billion, oh, sorry, a billion pound, um, and that was in the market when Ballast Point sold for a billion dollars to Constellation Brands and subsequently sold for less than ten cents on the dollar. Um, so we're not paying the same values for breweries that we once did. But they need growth, they need scale because if they don't, you know, if if, if they raise on the on the IPO and get less than a billion um, pounds for the for the total um, valuation of the business. Basically, everyone loses money because the only people that are going to make money are the private equity. Do you happen to know, Matt, uh, how much beer Brewdog Australia makes each year produces? You know, a lot of breweries don't like to talk about their volumes. I'm just wondering about when you, when we look at a, a size of a brewery range, you know, everyone used to talk about the one million litre um, a year value of death, but whether we've had a shift in that mark there. So we've got two breweries with roughly similar losses and I'm imagining a probably similar-ish in size. Um, whether what, what, What's the rough cost? If you're going to assign a rough cost to production cost, Per liter, um, what would you? Because their revenue um, was eleven million dollars. Um, I could probably, and it's it's actually hard to pull it out between retail and wholesale because um, if if, I, if it was I, all wholesale and we said that a keg was selling for three hundred dollars, so that's six dollars a liter. So you're looking at. You know, they're probably producing one to one and a half million litres a year, I'm, I'm going to guess, and based on that number. But there is retail involved in that as well. So shift, but I'm going to guess on that, around that, based on that number. Um, Here we go. The retail sales revenue, and so this will include food, 
is 8.8 .8 million. So, you know, that's through their, their own bar and their own um, dog tap out at uh, Murray. Their wholesale sales revenue, which is to others, is 2.4 million. So, you know, the, the, the driver is very much their, um, you know... Their, their retail, yeah, which is going to be taking in part of their um, production figures as is their wholesale. Um, so it, uh, it, it's pretty muddy then to try to guess really um, what they're doing. But I'm going to imagine their their Black Ops is probably bigger, but not um, not by a huge amount. Um, but it, I'm just wondering whether we've had a shift in what that position, um, that valley of death that everyone talked about is, um, and and where the where the real difficult points are in coming to profitability. I do not understand BrewDog as an Australian proposition. And so, you know, as part of the article, Ed talks about the need to create venues and venues create loyal customers and that's why they need the wholesale growth. And I understand that as a strategy. It's what we talked about, you know, this the sort of tavern model, own your own taps. But when I think about, and this is sort of the point Matt was making at the, at the at the top of the news, which is people are sort of saying if otherwise non-viable businesses got out of the way, there would be enough business for those that are real, uh, you know, viable businesses going forward. And I just look at it and go, yep, we place a lot of um, angst on Asahi and Lion, um, but we've got an overseas-owned where all the benefit of an IPO is going to flow into an overseas company. Sure, it's in. It was lured here by our own government. Yeah, I pay, paid for. I oh, don't even. I mean, with don't even get me started on the Queensland government's role in it. But I just sort of think, like, from a brand loyalty perspective, I still have missed the boat where people are, where consumers are, diehard Brewdog loyal in our market. Right, like people don't... I don't think they are. That's the thing. I don't and think they that's are. what I and find when, when so you, confusing about them as an offering because I go, yeah, when you, sure. But, but that's the thing. When you go back to um, the Equity Crowd Fund, they were hoping to raise $10 million for 10% of the Australian operations, which was going to fund all of their growth. They extended it a couple of times and still only got $700,000. There isn't that same level of local support. You know, there, there might have been, you know, five, eight years ago before we had such a vibrant homegrown industry, but there's just not for them now. But, and, and, and that's the thing. And so the thing that ties all of these together is businesses need money behind them. And whether you get it legitimately through equity crowdfunding, which is an absolutely legitimate way to get money so long as you meet the, the, the rules, or whether you get it from a bank or whether you have private, you know, high worth individuals, but each of those has a cost in its own way. Um, because if you're BrewDog and you get the equity crowdfund from a private equity company, you have to pay that back and there is pressure on you to get growth. You don't have the same, you know, ramp that somebody, you know, and, and I've had a lot of these conversations with small breweries who feel the competition against hidden money or, you know, that it's not actually competing in the marketplace where if we sell more beer, we will grow. It's businesses that are competing against private equity funded. And, you know, and that, that was the really interesting thing from the tribe investment for me. So all of the attention was given to tribe. But as I talked a little bit about last week, there was that little bit of corporate shenanigans where the private equity, you know, the, the, the family investment vehicle that owns a significant share of young Henry's bought the senior debt for tribe. And in doing so, you know, fell out with the other debt you know with the note holders and there's apparently legal you know, litigation going on there um but the senior debt facility if i'm reading the documents correctly was 20 million dollars so the business that's invested in young henry's which is the largest inverted commas independent craft brewery and they are independent the the investors of that brewery have the money in their um investment fund to buy the senior debt for tribe 
um, you know, which was millions and millions and millions of dollars. And that's got me wondering because when you look at, you know, and, and I've spoken to, you know, the owners of, or, you know, the, the, the nominal face owners of Young Henry's and asked them about it. And they said, oh, it's a small family investment vehicle and stuff like that. You know, to me, 10, 15, 20 million dollars isn't a small family investment vehicle. It's not your mates, you know, um, putting in a thousand dollars each. And that answers, you know, and, and that raises some questions for me about, you know, Young Henry's because we've had brewers contact us talking about Young Henry's valuation, you know, the, the, the way that they value their kegs, the way that they're getting, you know, kegs with pricing of, of their beer. You just have to walk into venues that have Young Henry's on and you look at the cost of the light boxes and, you know, the staff uniforms and things. There's a lot of support. And then they also have, you know, a pretty well, um, you know, stocked sales rep, um, you know, portfolio. So the people who are out there selling isn't it? You know, and and the wetware for a business is expensive, and you're sort of going, well, I, I could never work out how they were growing based on um, pure profit because where do you get profit from in that business model? And then suddenly you see that there is a a private equity business in the background that can play in that sort of high finance world with Tribe. And you're going, okay, is everyone competing against Young Henry's beer? Or are they competing against the, you know, Uber-esque funding to keep Young Henry's going and growing for an eventual sale? And I, I don't know the answer to that, but when I, whenever I've asked, you never really get an answer. But, but Matt, this was the interesting piece when we step back to sort of look at, um, so the Australian Brew Database, for example, which is a Brews News product, I encourage everybody to take a look, but we step back and on every one of those businesses, we were like, how do we describe ownership? And at the end of the day, it is nigh impossible to clearly disclose the ownership, the private ownership structures that sit behind all of the independent breweries yep. in the country. So, so this definition that the IBA has of independence, and 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 you've seen us discuss at length, you know, Mighty Craft and what does that mean? And now they've pursued this legally and economically independent, which is interesting. But the point of it was that, you know, independent doesn't necessarily mean small family funded independent can mean a large private equity funded um and non-disclosed you know the, those those entities and who the true people behind them are not obvious so i don't i just think you know folks mm. should should be aware that all of those different structures exist but the piece actually out of it that was interesting for me matt was is that COVID is the baddie and if we hit some miracle volume of growth that that we all as, as these separate businesses think is out there, then we'll be just fine. We'll start turning a profit. But so far, we haven't seen any of these companies go, we've hit the equilibrium and we're just going to sit here because at this volume, we make money. Every single time we see this, it's we have to grow to some miraculous future number and at that number everything makes sense there isn't a brewery in australia independent or otherwise that has gone we've hit that that beautiful number and we're just going to sit here and we talk about it at the small end of town no, but, but, a lot but we're we seeing talk- that in the states and australia is often behind yeah australia is often, well we, i think it was lost abbey yep was descaling selling off the brewery and going well and and that's the thing but you know, you raise a really good point about COVID being the scapegoat for so many breweries. And we are still in the backwash of the COVID period. You know, um, there's a whole lot of stuff flowing through the economy as a result of logistics problems and, you know, things like that. Um, there was a lot of money and stimulus that was put into the economy for fear that it was going to turn around. So we don't know exactly you know, what, what it is. But then again, as a 53-year-old, what I actually see when I look around is a much more traditional economy than we've had for the 20 years that craft beer has been around with higher interest rates. You know, we still have very low unemployment, which is unusual, um, and that's making it very hard for venues with staffing. But in terms of the economic 
conditions. We actually have a much more traditional economy at the moment that is what I knew growing up. And whether that's normal these days or not, I don't know. But I hear a lot of breweries that started during the golden days of craft brewing when it was all growth, um, when it was growth no matter what, because it was craft beer's time, um, who's launched breweries. Um, and it, it, to, to me, it's a little bit like if, if you bought a house 10 years ago for $500,000, that house is now worth one point. The, the, the market was growing. So you were never going to get into trouble. Even if you had to sell, you're probably going to make money because the market was growing. It wasn't your genius as an investor. The low interest rates, high growth environment that a lot of craft breweries entered managed to allow businesses to hide a lot of sins um, in you know, a lot of problems or a lot of potential defects or mistakes or, 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 or errors. And now suddenly that the economy is hitting a rough patch, a lot of those are being found out. And I think to say that my, you know, it's, it's, that there are rising costs, yes, there are all of these things, but inflation has always has been a historical constant. So if your business wasn't able to accommodate that um, or, you know, and, and you can't put prices up because craft beer isn't growing, I don't know that that's still a co- At some point, we're going to have to admit that it's not COVID anymore. And I don't know when that is, and I don't know whether it still is. I need to clarify that. But businesses started in a rarefied period that isn't going to continue, and that's going to impact businesses. And it, you have to think really carefully about your business model if this is the conditions that are going to continue. Well, that's what I was saying last week, Matt, uh, about how when you're playing in a high-volume, uh, low-margin space, uh, any increase in your costs uh, extrapolates out and has a bigger impact on you than when you were playing in a lower volume, higher margin space. You know, that's that's obvious straight up. It, it, it does not take much to turn things around the other way when uh, things are that tight. And, yes, as you say, if there is a slowdown in general in the market or people are being a bit more sensitive about their price of, of goods they purchase um, and it makes it difficult to raise prices, that makes things really, really hard. I think I'll, I'll close this, this out with two comments, but the first is, you know, anybody who's been following the news about the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank, bank will see that the, there's this ongoing discussion about um, essentially because bank financing and therefore venture capital financing isn't available at, at, at zero money, um, there's less money that's going to flow into small startups. Um, and the net result is that will be the same across our banking sector where things are tightened down. There's no low interest rates. So the risk for new entrants in terms of, of getting some capital uh, through traditional means will be higher, um, which means we might see a slowdown in terms of new entrants, so small breweries popping up, um, which when we talk about what all of the breweries are you know, again, it's round out the conversation that Matt's been having with folks sort of saying there probably needs to be a rationalisation because there's no increase. And I just sort of reiterate that point that every brewery says they need to increase and scale and sell more. The pie is not getting any bigger. Where are their sales coming from? And that just remains glaringly unclear to me where folks think they're going to get new sales other than taking it from other craft beer. And incidentally, that's why I dug so deeply into the BrewDog results and, yep. you know, particularly when Ed started talking about their expansion plans because in a market that isn't necessarily growing, yeah. you are competing against businesses like BrewDog that have access to unlimited capital virtually because they'll just keep being funded by this business that needs growth yeah it, it, and so i guess you know if you've got black hops are going to grow and take taps from people Brewdog are going to grow and take taps from people like everybody thinks they're taking taps from the other person look i just i genuinely don't understand where people think all of their individual growth is coming from. So from my perspective, all I can say is I really hope that the um, Ask Indie, Ask for Indie campaign is hugely successful um, and we find some new drinkers out there um, because that's clearly what's needed actually um, for, for the success of the industry going forward. So just a small little piece of news to kind of round out the news section. 
um, conscious of time. Um, that we discussed last week the pregnancy warning label um, that had been proposed. Uh, those changes have now been approved by the relevant ministers at a meeting this week. So go and get, grab all of that information and you can apply that to your labels going forward. Now on the pregnancy uh, um, labelling, I've just got a, uh, like a very uh, important text uh, and, and you, you might like this, Sabrina. Solid gold guys loved it. Yeah, um, I know. That was Brad talking about my non-commercial commercial last week. So, you yeah. know, so this week I'm going to do it. We're not going to mention a certain label manufacturer or their number or anything like that that is in the show notes because, listeners, you know who it is. You can hear my voice saying I've got my Rallings voice on. So uh, we, we thank you, Mystery Company, um, for, for all of your support. And uh, look down in the show notes to see who I'm talking about. Matt, are you trying to gear, to gear this up to the point where they, they pay for an ad, but we just have a pause of silence and everyone <laughs> knows what it means? <laughs> that that would be like uh, marketing and advertising genius if you, if you could get it to that point. If you just have it, whenever there's a pause in a podcast, you hear Rowling's phone number appear. <laughs> you know, so... My work here is done. Oh, God. Um, in other news, just a quick one, conscious of everybody's time. Uh, there was a bit of chat in the Radio Brews News Facebook group with a question from um, a regular participant um, and all-round good guy for craft beer, Daniel Ridd. Um, it was a picture of both the Bolter XBA and Stone and Wood Pacific Ale um, 500ml cans. And his question was, these are arguably the most popular acquired beers for the two big houses. Coincidence, what's the angle with 500ml cans? And James Armis of Stone and Wood uh, weighed in, as did Sterling Howland from Bolter. So needless to say, um, straight from the horse's mouth on strategy. But essentially they both are very similar, which is requests from customers so um, for stone and wood uh, they roll out their counterculture in the 500 ml cans and every time they roll them out they get the questions about can we get stone and wood in the 500 ml it made sense from them from a back-end perspective to be able to make that available they'd been wanting to do it for a while and it was um, and they finally made it made it through um, and basically quite similar from Bolter they've released their um, special their big format special new releases special limited releases in 500 mil cans um they always get the question for it um sterling said you know he had a his own story and nostalgia behind it and you know they'd been in the planning for over 12 months so it just sort of seems that um it was a little bit of um i guess fortuitous timing for the market so um nothing nefarious in the background just both uh both working on it for a while so i thought that was some really great info straight from the horse's mouth as it were so thanks to uh, sterling and james for weighing in and as my grandmother used to say great minds think alike and fools seldom differ <laughs> but again and it's time you know like there's the whole timing thing but again it's just what i love about the the, the bruising there's a lot of industry pros who lurk um you know keep track of what people are saying see what the the issues are and it's a very interesting group but then they weigh in when it's their area of expertise and that was something i just would not have known the the, the answer because i don't get 500 mil cans myself so uh you know thank you to james and sterling both for uh for, for weighing in absolutely matt you had a great beer as a conversation this week with the team out at scarborough harbour i did and so you know look we we Normally wouldn't do this, but we need a brewery of the week, thanks to our good friends at Bluestone Yeast, and I'll read their um, pitch uh, very soon, uh, pun intended. Um, but yeah, um, Scarborough Harbour, which is literally on my back doorstep, it's 40 minutes north of Brisbane. I hadn't been there. They won um, the best brew pub and the best new brewery at the recent Royal Queensland Beer Awards, plus a couple of uh, gold medals. Uh, for, for their beers, including their mid-strength lager, which was a, you know, a, a nice thing to see. And so I just wanted to go out and find out a little bit more about them. Um, and look, I was blown away. Like I walk out and it's, it, 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 it's, it's literally right on the harbour, like right on the marina. I know you've told me about them, Sabrina, and I should listen <laughs> I'm, to you more. I'm um, smiling. So, <laughs> culpa. I'm smiling because um, it's definitely in my backyard. I'm, uh, I'm pretty north and... Um, I had to giggle that Matt's like, I found this gem in the rough I didn't know about. And I was like, mm. 
I didn't say I found it. I said I was surprised and that I should have been there earlier and yeah. I should have listened to you. But um, and and love love the story as well because for two weeks in a row we've had you know and blokes whose wives have been against them opening a brewery, um, but in this case. The, the the wife has had to run it because the bloke is five thousand kilometres away uh, on on other business, and so uh, it, it was it was just really uh, lovely to to meet Sonia and then speak to Guy uh, remotely. But the the the, the brewery is on a um, marina that looks out over across to the Glasshouse Mountains. I describe it in the in the thing, but it was the venue was beautiful. The beers were really impressive, um, as you'd expect for uh, award winning beers. But it was also the, the the reason it's my brewery of the week isn't for those things, but it is sailing its own race. It hasn't jumped in and tried to make a venue that is exactly like Little Creatures. And there's a million you know venues that look like the warehouse Little Creatures design from 20 years ago. It's not trying to be... It, it is exactly what you would expect a brew pub attached to a mar- uh, marina um, would be it's very oceanic it's very nautical it's got a lovely feel it takes makes the most of its situation for a lot of things and then the beers are you know they're the biggest seller is a lager um, but then they've got a couple of interesting things they had a cracking dark lager um, they had they've got a brewed IPA one of the few brews in the country's got a brewed IPA um, they had a red IPA that they just launched so doing an interesting range of beers but not trying to sit there they're not a hype factory just you walk in and you love it and it is everything that I love about um, craft brewing and, and, and breweries so um, yeah so it's my brewery of the week. Thanks to Bluestone Yeast, who can supply pitches of yeast from one litre to 100 litres at greater than 2 billion cells per milliliter. Whether you're after a one-off pitch or you're looking for weekly, fortnightly or monthly deliveries of yeast, Bluestone Yeast has you covered. You can reach out to them at info at bluestoneyeast.com.au or call Derek on 03 3172 and talk all things yeast. Links and those are in the show notes. And... If you'd like a pitch of another kind, if you would like us to pitch your product, give Sam at brewsnews.com.au an email and he'll send you our rate card so we can give you a little bit of this uh, Bruce News effect. And um, closing out with the final piece of housekeeping for the week, um, thanks, as Matt said at the top, thanks to all of those that have reached out with well wishes for Matt to take a bit of um, what I call long service leave. Um, and as a result, we're on the hunt for a senior journalist who can do some of this business writing that Matt's been doing for us. So if you uh, know a journalist in your life that you think would be a good fit, um, get them to get in touch with us. Um, we want to spread the, spread the um, advertisement far and wide. Um, and with that, I don't think there's any other news. So that wraps up another week of the news you need to know. And hopefully you're hearing this over your Easter break. Well wishes to everybody and safe travels over Easter. Your hosts have been me, Sabrina Kunz, Ian Watson and Matt Kierkegaard. The show is produced and edited by Joe Helder. We thank Rowling's Label Stickers and Packaging and Bluestone Yeast for their support in making this episode happen.